Chapter Thirty Four of Workers Together. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Workers Together or an Endless Chain by Pansy. Chapter Thirty Four. Know Thyself. The first interruption to his vigil was a card presented by a girl who, from her appearance and dress, might have been a relative of the landlady. The card was the official one of the Young Men's Christian Association and merely bore the statement that their messenger was below, prepared to spend the night, and would come up at once if he might. Robert, by this time in a very subdued mood, sent an immediate invitation for him to do so, and a moment thereafter, in answer to the knock, admitted Austin Barrows. Well, he said, stopping before him in amazement, is it possible that it is you? Why, yes, but I did not know before that it was you. I fell in with some of the young men on Monday evening and joined the association, and I happened to be in at noon when there came this urgent call for help, so I volunteered to come as soon as business released me. So this was the young man of leisure who could sleep all day. Who called for help? was Robert's abrupt question. The doctor, but I did not see him. The secretary told me. I did not know I was to relieve you. I say, Parks, it is a little strange that you and I should be associated in this way just now. It strikes me pleasantly, as though our new captain meant to unite us in his service. Now what's to do? Give me my orders quickly and be off. You look tired out. Have you been here all day? What did you do for something to eat? I sent downstairs and got a bite. Robert explained. It did not seem necessary to admit just then that he had sent the relief committee away and gone dinnerless because he was in a rage. However, he did not go just yet. The doctor was the next comer. He asked many questions, gave very careful orders, promised to call at midnight, and then peremptorily ordered Parks away with him. After a brisk, silent walk of some squares, it was Robert who broke the stillness. Doctor, I've been a fool all my life, and especially so today. I think I know now, for the first time, what I am about. But there are some things that I want to ask you. Professional skill is one thing, and bathing people's faces and washing out bowls and fighting flies are other things. What I want to know is how you teach yourself to think of such things, or feel that you have time to attend to them. Of course, if I had exercised common sense, I might have thought of some of them myself, but I don't understand how you have taught your mind to spring to them as a matter of course. One reason, doubtless, is that they are not always so separated from professional duties as you suppose. All these so-called little matters have very much to do with the progress or the stay of disease. Besides, my friend, I am a fisherman. You should not forget that. A fisherman, repeated Robert, unable to follow him in what seemed a sudden transition. I regularly commissioned. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That is the order with the promise attached. When you have lived somewhat longer in this world, you will begin to realize that there are ten thousand little things no more important in themselves than brushing out troublesome flies, or shutting out glaring sunlight, or tidying a slovenly washstand, or cooling a burning forehead, which can be used as nets wherewith to catch poor, tired, homesick fish. 
Possibly you and I are set to catch this young man in our nets and present him to our captain as a trophy. You had your opportunity last night. Mine comes later. We must do our work well, the trifles as well as the great things, for we know not which shall prosper, this or that. By the way, if you are homeward bound, will you ask Mrs. Saunders if she can let me have a small roll of old linen? Tell her to send my boy down there with it, and whatever else she thinks of that ought to be there. These mothers can think of things which seem to occur to nobody else. I doubt my getting home tonight. I have two bad cases. Good night. Robert went on his way, realizing two things. First, that there was no little matters connected with this solemn business of living, and secondly, that he had proved a very poor fisher, not worthy to be counted among those who followed. Still, his captain gave him other opportunities in that same sick-room. This was no easy task which they had undertaken. For days and weeks Fred Briggs wrestled with pain and fever. There were days and nights in which it seemed that the disease would conquer. It was a time of unusual sickness in the city, and no professional nurse was to be had. The nearest approach to it was a blundering young fellow, who could not be trusted for much more than to wait on the volunteer watcher for the hour. Young Parks found himself thoroughly roused out of his selfishness, and was so often a volunteer that Dr. Everett had to take him in hand at times and order him home. Still, there were nights when for hours together he was left as sole watcher, with all the responsibilities and anxieties of the position pressing down upon him. Then there were other nights when Mrs. Saunders and Dr. Everett and he stood around helplessly, with apparently nothing to do but realize that they had failed, and await the coming of death. During those weeks it seemed to Robert that he grew old very fast, that indeed he must be years older than he was on that first evening of his vigil. There was one night in particular that stood out in his memory. It was early, not yet nine o'clock but his night of watching had already commenced, to be relieved later by the doctor, if he could get away from another sick-bed. There was not much to do, but the gloom of a probable failure was upon him in full force, the doctor having frankly told him that he feared the case was hopeless. As for the patient, he was in a state of semi-stupor, wherein he feared nothing and noticed nothing. There came a tap at the door, and Robert, moving softly to open it, found himself, to his utter amazement, standing face to face with Hester Mason. "'She sent you up a cup of tea,' she explained briefly, setting down her burden, her eyes fixed on the sleeping occupant of the bed. "'She thought you looked unusually tired when you came up. Don't you watch too often? You didn't expect to see me, did you?' There is a girl boarding here who is a sort of a friend of mine. I come to see her once in a while, and tonight I have been in the kitchen helping the landlady. She has a dreadful headache. She isn't very neat, but she is good-hearted. It was she thought of the tea for you, but I made it myself and washed the cup and spoon before I served it. Is he going to get well? I am afraid not. The doctor looks grave tonight and seems discouraged. Is he ready to die? Coming from Hester, this question, at all times a solemn one, seemed peculiarly startling. I don't know, he said mournfully. 
I am afraid not. Does he know it? I mean, does he know that he is likely to die? I should want to know it. I wouldn't like to lie there sleeping my life away and having everybody stepping softly and keeping still. I should want to have them shout at me and wake me up to get ready. What good would it do now, Hester? He does not understand what is said to him. He is quite indifferent to everything concerning himself. I don't think even shouting would rouse him enough to have him understand. He ought to have been told before. I mean, he ought to have thought of this possibility and got ready for it. You ought to have settled it before, Rob, and then gone after him, so that he should have been ready for this time. How do you know but it is your fault after all? There was not the slightest touch of banter in her voice. Instead it was singularly solemn, modulated as it was to suit the stillness of the room. It had a strange effect on Robert. He glanced over at the quiet form, and felt his own pulses beating fast with suppressed feeling. I do not know but it is, he said at last, speaking tremulously. I might have helped him. I had opportunities and wasted them. I may have to go around forever after, feeling that I might have introduced him to Christ and did not. It must be an ugly feeling. She still spoke in that strangely grave tone, her eyes fixed on the bed. Then she turned away with a little sigh, as if the dreary past were unalterable, and said, Well, you can't help it now, I suppose. You may as well drink your tea. I hope he won't blame you if he dies, and you and he never meet again. Perhaps he will blame you. Robert felt himself impelled to say these words, and he turned and looked steadily at her. You knew him, Hester. He told me once that he met you at the theatre, and had a really gay visit with you. Why may not you be the one to blame when he meets you again? I? Who can blame me? I don't belong to the safe people. I am lost myself, you know. But you know exactly how to be safe, and you know how to point the way to others. How will the fact of your not doing what you might have done relieve you from obligation? Hester, if you lay on a dying bed unready, would I have to think that I was, perhaps, to blame for that, too? Well, I think you would have to bear some of the blame. I don't suppose that would save me from responsibility, but then there is no telling what you might have coaxed me to do, you know, if you had tried early enough. Still, I don't blame you. Only I do hope I shall not have to be ashamed of you as a Christian. I only know a few people by that name of whom I am not heartily ashamed. She had dropped into her light bantering tone, had retreated entirely within the shadow of the hall, instead of occupying the open door, and, waiting only to ask if he liked cold tea, vanished downstairs. But she left a solemn lesson for Robert to study. He could not shut away her words. The awful thought that there he was in the shadow of death, and that this silent soul before him might have been helped by his efforts, and was not, shut down about him like a pall. That night of prayer for forgiveness, for a chance to try once more, for an opportunity to reach this young man, for power to influence that young woman, he will never forget. End of chapter 34 Recording by Tricia G.